Welcome to Birkbeck Voices, the monthly podcast about the latest news and research from Birkbeck, University of London. I'm Guy Collender. In this programme, we focus on Birkbeck's research and its impact upon society. These are timely questions because they are at the heart of the Research Excellence Framework, also known as the REF, a national audit of university research which will be published in December 2014. I'm joined by Birkbeck's Professor Stephen Frosch, Pro Vice Master for Research and Professor of Psychology, to find out more. Stephen, thank you for joining me in the studio. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's really nice to be in this very smart studio. (laughs) Firstly, could you tell us about the importance of university research for society? Well, this this is obviously a huge question. Um, There are lots of reasons why uh, research is important. Some of them, I think you'd say, were quite specific and pragmatic, even functional, in terms of the contribution that research might make to the economy, um, to business, to industry, and so on. And some of it, I think, is more kind of philosophical in terms of what we're trying to do as a university and uh, what the benefits might be of simply pursuing knowledge and better understanding of the world. For example, as I've really said, you know, there are sometimes practical inventions. Mm. And are there any um, in particular that you're thinking of? You're well, I think, for example, that if, if I think about the kind of work that's going on here, um, one of our um, impact case studies, actually, is of a spin-off company which is uh, using fundamental um, discoveries in molecular biology in order to work on cures for cancer. That, that's the kind of epitome of what I'm looking for. Away, the cure for cancer is the kind of thing that people are always always looking to achieve, and we're nowhere near getting it. But the you know, if any work is going on that's valuable, it's within the university system. And of course, we've also got areas. I mean, for example, another. Um, one of our impact cases was of uh, members of our Department of Economics doing work with the Icelandic banks after the crash, trying to think about forms of governance and financial control that could be used there. And that, that's another, it's not, that's not a discovery, but it's an example of the kind of thing I'm talking about. I mean, the other thing that's worth saying about what research does is that it um, produces researchers who are not necessarily going to work in universities. And many of them go on to work in the wider areas of society. Most of them do, really. I mean, it's a relative minority which work, who go on to work in universities. And then those are often thought of as being... They're often called um, knowledge transfer on legs. That is, people who've got knowledge which they derive from doing research, who understand what research is, who also understand how to read and evaluate research, and are invaluable in the companies or uh, other organisations into which they move later. Could you also tell us about the significance of research at Birkbeck? We regard ourselves and are very proud to be a, as a research-intensive university. What does that mean? It means that the things that we do are all at least influenced and often governed by the state of research in an area. So that applies, obviously, to the research that we do itself. We're looking to, to achieve um, kind of uh, um, boundary-breaking research. But we also it also applies to the teaching that we do. And I think that's a very important issue that I'll come back to. I mean, one, one thing I, I think about this, though, is that if you speak to the academic members of staff here and you ask them to describe themselves and their work, uh, many of them will put teaching high up in terms of what they do, but most people will start with their research. They'll say, I am a researcher in, you know, I am a, I don't know, an academic in English and I work on Victorian studies, or I am a historian and I'm interested in, you know, um, I don't know, ancient history, um, or I'm a computer scientist and I'm developing this or that new application of uh, computer science work, and so on and so forth. And that's how they'll start their conversation. 
The other thing to say about research, another thing to say about research at Birkbeck, of course, is that uh, it's financially very important to us. About 20% of the college's income comes for research, split equally between money that we get from the from central government directly in the form of a grant and money that's obtained through applications and awards for external research grants, 20%, about £20 million. So that is a lot of money in relation to the college. And so in that very, very pragmatic sense, research is very important to us and that it allows the core business of the college to keep going. But I think we're more philosophically involved with it as well. Yeah. And, and so what is unique about the research environment at Birkbeck? You've mentioned many elements, but is there anything else that you can put your finger on that separates Birkbeck from other institutions? Well, um, I mean, there's obviously overlap between what we do and what other people do. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to claim that we are totally unique in everything that we do. And of course, we're part of a broader research community in the university sector. We think about ourselves that way. And most people working, doing research here have got connections with other people working elsewhere. But if you want to highlight the distinctive characteristics of Birkbeck, I mean, first of all, we are... We are um, relatively small for such a successful and uh, research-intensive institution. Um, I mean, we have five schools, and within those schools we have a huge range of different research activities, and within that range we've got many um, uh, large instances of really high-quality research. So I wouldn't say our highest quality research spreads over everything that we do, but there's a lot of it going on. And that's quite unusual for a relatively small institution. I mean, the other thing, other things to say about that is that um, because we are relatively small, there are lots of possibilities for interconnection between people. People know one another here. And so there are relatively few, sort of, I suppose you call them academic or research silos in the institution, which of necessity you get in larger places. I mean, we sometimes have problems of scale, and in some ways that's bad. In other ways it can be good because it means that our researchers do make very constructive links with people elsewhere. They have to sometimes to get large-scale research done. But also, because we're relatively small, as these things are worked in a, in, in a, I like to think, in a non-bureaucratic manner. I mean, the, the, another thing to say, I suppose the final thing about this, amongst, I, I think I could say many distinctive things, but the final thing to highlight is the nature of our student population in two ways. Uh, one is that we've got about 50% of our degree students are doing postgraduate courses. So that means a lot of the encounters that our academic staff have with students are at a level of teaching where they can talk about their research. And indeed, these students are quite capable of coming back and offering critiques of um, of new research. So I know in my own teaching, a lot of that's at master's level. I talk about the research that I do and I get a lot back from students on that. And that to and fro is incredibly valuable. It means that there's a good deal of integration between the research and teaching sides of what we do. Um, the other thing to say about our student population, because so many of them are mature students and historically have been, we've got a lot of students who are in positions where they know a lot, even undergraduate students. They might be working, for example, many of our politics students are working in social policy. Um, many of our psychology students are already working in the helping professions in some one way or another and are looking for a proper psychology training. Um, people who are lawyer, who are studying law have often done a, a lot of kind of paralegal stuff before they come to us. And what that again means is that while at undergraduate level you wouldn't expect students to do, be doing more than learning how to do research, actually many of them know a great deal. And, in, and sometimes can even connect up our researchers with um, other people in outside the college with whom they can uh, create you know, productive research relationships. And you've mentioned that collaboration, um, working across the disciplines. 
um, uh, there are no silos at Birkbeck. And psychosocial studies, your area, is a very good example of that. Yes, well, psychosocial studies is, 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 a, is an example, actually, of... Um, no, it's a new area. Um, I think we try and think about it at the moment as a transdisciplinary area, an area which is kind of moves um, up over a number of different uh, disciplinary bases. And the department itself, I mean, I'm a psychologist by training and background, but, and, and so are, are, are a couple of the other members of the department, but we've got people in this department with backgrounds in anthropology, sociology, uh, feminist studies, uh, English literature, um, and um, ethnic and race, race studies and post-colonial studies and that broad mix is a really exciting I mean it, 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 it also creates you know, issues for, which maybe we'll come to in a minute about how the quality of research in such an interdisciplinary or transdisciplinary area gets measured particularly as it's beginning to, it beginning to form itself in the wider world so it has those kind of problems but it has an enormous amount of excitement and um, it's interesting, actually, that it's the only Department of Psychosocial Studies um, in the country and possibly even in the world in that form and perhaps could only have happened in a kind of rather critical, forward-looking and innovative place like Birkbeck. And we're coming on now to the measuring of research. Birkbeck's research strengths were recognised in the last national research audit, which was called the Research <coughs> Assessment Exercise, RAE, and conducted in 2008. How did Birkbeck perform in that? Well, I think we did pretty well, actually, um, considering in particular that we are um, a relatively small organisation and there's a very high correlation between the size of institution and performance in that research assessment exercise. Basically, the bigger the universities, the more likely they were to have the infrastructure uh, that would allow them to do really, really well on measures such as very, very large research grants. But also, um, the other thing that we did then was make a decision that we were going to include in the um, research exercise everybody who could um, legitimately claim to be an active researcher. We didn't make any uh, attempts to weed out people who might be, for example, early on in their career or uh, struggling a bit with their research over a period of time. We just allowed um, everybody in as a way of making a statement that the research culture at Birkbeck is pervasive. And that's not what many institutions did. Many other institutions were very selective in who they put in. They picked their best researchers. Um, so we, um, so, but in that context, we did really well. And our best departments, for example, psychology, history, earth sciences, which went in jointly with University College, um, were did really well and came in the top five or ten uh, institutions in the country. Um, and a very large number of our other departments, uh, for example, philosophy, history of art, English, politics, came well within the top 20% of institutions. So we're proud of that. And the REE has now been replaced by the REF. So the REF, Research Excellence Framework, is what the letters stand for. It's, um, it's, a, it's a peer rating system in which um, the good and the great in... Um, pretty well every disciplinary area gathered to, gather together in panels and over the course of this year that is the year 20 the calendar year 2014 are reading through an enormous amount of material submitted to them by almost every university in the country if not every university in the country in a wide range of disciplines i mean at Birkbeck we have put in 14 different submissions in different areas these areas are largely departments for example, our departments of psychology, English, economics, 
but not necessarily. Um, they're called units of assessment rather than departments. And, and for instance, our sociology submission is made up mostly of psychosocial studies and geography uh, development and uh, geography, environment and developmental stu development studies. So that's what they're doing. They, they, we've got peer panels, um, reading material that's been sent them and trying to make a judgment about uh, what is about the quality of research done around the whole country in every different discipline. And we have several members of this college serving on some of these panels, um, for example, in history, in computer science, um, and um, classics, and education, and so on. And they're basically spending a year reading. What happens next is that uh, at the end of this exercise, and the results come out on the 18th of December 2014, at the end of this exercise, uh, every one of these submissions gets a rating, a kind of profile. And this profile is, is made up of the proportion of the submitted work which is, uh, fits into one of five different categories. These categories range from unclassified, which means it's seen as no good whatsoever, up to four-star, which means it's seen as kind of world-beating work, research work. And the aim, of course, is to get a profile which has a high preponderance of three- and four-star ratings, those being the, you know, obviously the top grades and, re and registering the view of one's peers that the work that's been done here is really great. Um, within that overall profile, there are three sub-profiles. 65% of the weighting goes on um, uh, a judgment of outputs. Each one of our academics who's gone into this exercise has submitted um, up to four uh, pieces of published work that they did between 2008 and the end of 2013. And those are judged on the, sim on the same unclassified to four-star scale. 65% of the overall weighting is given for the judgment of those outputs. 20% for a judgment of the impact the research done in the unit has had outside the university. So, for example, what impact have our economists had in the wider, in the wider world of economics? Um, outside, as I say, the whole university sector, not just outside Birkbeck. And 15% of the overall weighting is given for um, what they call environment, which is a measure of things like the number of PhD students you've got, the amount of research income you've had, what the quality of the research infrastructure within the unit is taken to be. So that, that's basically it. Um, at the end of that time, the um, REF themselves will not be drawing up league tables, but everybody else will. They'll look at how an institution like Burbeck have done in, in our case now, 14 submissions, and they'll put all these together and they'll come up with some number and they'll rank us in comparison with our other institutions. It is the national classification system uh, by which in, each institution measures the quality of its work in comparison with every other institution. So in that way, it's a kind of way of calibrating oneself against one's peers. Um, it is, of course... Um, most importantly, in practical terms, the mechanism which is going to be used by the government to distribute funding. I mean, at the moment, we get um, about half our research funds, so around £10 million a year, out of the £20 million that we, we income we get for research, about £10 million of that comes as a direct result of the um, uh, results of, of the ratings that we got in the 2008 RAE. And the government will look at the results of the um, REF and will do the same thing. We don't yet know how. Probably they will, the Higher Education Funding Council, which actually distributes the funds, will have less money to play with than they did last time. So most institutions, I suspect, again, I suspect this will be true of us, will do better than they did last time, but, have less, but receive less money in the end because the pot will be smaller. 
all those sorts of things will happen but still uh, it's really really important because it's only through this mechanism that a very substantial amount of our money is awarded. And you're the chair of the REF Working Party at Birkbeck mm. and as a result of that you're familiar with the range of research submitted as part of the REF. What examples of research particularly impressed you during the submission process? To, to take you really quickly through a few, I, I thought uh, I read some great work in history. We have a very strong and large department of history, classics and archaeology. Um, I thought that I'd, I'd draw people's attention to a very strong um, stream of work on totalitarianism and its aftermath. Um, Orlando Feige's work on Russia, Daniel Pick's work on Nazism, um, David Feldman's work on uh, migration, and and also uh, in a different vein, Jonah Burke's incredible work, I thought, on medical humanities, pain, sexual violence and so on, which has been really widely recognised uh, recently as well. Our psychology department, um, I mean, it's a strong department generally, but I think it's... it's, it's um, kind of world-beating side is in its um, the neuropsychology and cognitive science it does, uh, led by the Centre for um, Brain and Cognitive Development. And that neuroscientific work, which ranges from work with adults um, to this very large project they're doing on autism to a great deal of development, brain development study, which I know has been covered quite widely in the press, at, uh, wide press, and also the material that Burbeck has put out. It, it, when you actually read it, it's fantastic quality work. Biological scientists, we've got a remarkable group of biological scientists. They've, they've emerged out of what was historically a really strong crystallography department that did very, very well in the RAE. And now I think they're deepened by a broader approach to molecular biology than they've had in the past. Um, and that work is gathered together in the Institute of Structural and Molecular Biology and it focuses particularly on protein science where they're, they're absolutely ahead of the game in all, all areas. And then um, English, um, the sheer breadth of our English submission was fascinating. It kind of ranges from um, work on the medieval persecution of uh, Jews and um, in Christianity as well, through science fiction, Roger Luckhurst's work on Egyptian mummies and on trauma, and uh, the traditional Burbeck strengths on Victorian studies. And for the first time, the REF included impact case studies, which are designed to exemplify the effect that research has on the world outside academia. What examples of impact case studies stand out from Birkbeck? So again, I mean, like, like in my previous question, there's lots of things I could have chosen, but here's a few of my favourites. I thought Tim Smith in Psychology did a, just a brilliant impact case. It's called A Vision of Destruction Restored, using eye-tracking to guide the restoration of John Martin's The Destruction of Pompeii and Herculaneum. And what it is, I mean, it, it takes what I thought was an incredibly unpromising area in experimental psychology, which is eye-tracking, and um, used it in order to help the curators at the Tate restore a really badly damaged painting. And because of the experiments that Tim Smith did, he was able to guide the curators in making lots of really important decisions about how they were going to restore this painting, which is now on show again. And it's made a huge difference, I think. And there's a lot of interest in it in the curatorial community. That's it's a really fascinating great. piece. And he was able yeah. to show where people were looking or yes. where, at the damaged image. That's right. So it's able to show, for example, if you, if you, where you put the margin might make a difference, whether you block something out or try to actually re paint it would make a difference it was it's quite a brilliant study and i hope they recognize it as such when they review it our computer scientists um george russos and his his colleagues um i thought did an outstanding piece of uh, work around uh, uh, some technology 
uh, it's, it's a case study which is called Research Advances in Participatory Cyber-Physical Computing. But what they've done is they've developed um, a, a, um, a piece of, of kit, really, which is being used to assess Parkinson's patients. Um, it's being used to monitor people's uh, um, green recycling and uh, waste. Develop, they developed a mobile app on Google Play that allows London commuters to optimise their travel expenditure. And apparently by using this app, you can reduce your travel costs by 20% on, the, on London transport. And they've used it to study um, the population of bats in the country. And I understand your own work was submitted as well. Could you tell us more about that in your area of psychosocial studies? I submitted two books. Uh, one of them um, is called Psychoanalysis Outside the Clinic, which explores the applications of psychoanalytic theory in the humanities and social sciences, you know, in literature and politics, um, um, for example. And um, uh, the second book was called Hauntings, uh, which is about um, intergenerational trans- inter- transmission of trauma and identity, how things that happen to one generation get picked up by later generations, how we might understand that, particularly, again, using psychoanalytic frames of reference, um, and also looking at film and um, politics and um, uh, post-Holocaust trauma too there. And those ideas are very current at the moment, those ideas of intergenerational trauma, especially with the commemorations of World War One, where yes. lots of people <clears throat> talking about shell shock and the impact that, that has had on their families, not only their their grandparents who were involved, and then yes. obviously Israel-Palestine, the conflict yeah. there. They're very, they're very current. Um, they have been in a way for a while, and I think really I place it in the period leading up to the millennium there's a great deal of interest in memorialization and you can see it in many uh, in another work that's going on in the college and uh, in my own department a lot of interest on different forms of temporality of how time is experienced that also relate to that set of issues and eric hobsbawm uh, he he spoke about invented traditions and memory and so on so there's a, a long thread of research in this area stemming from birkbeck exactly that's a very nice link Professor Stephen Frosch, thank you very much for discussing the importance of university research and for explaining the REF. We look forward to seeing how Birkbeck has performed when the results are announced in December 2014. For more information about Birkbeck's news, events and courses, please visit www.bbk.ac.uk.